Hello and welcome to the Gentleman's Journal podcast, a fortnightly discussion all about success, modern business and the lives of entrepreneurs. I'm Joe Bullmore, I'll be your host for the day and I'm joined this afternoon once again upstairs at Mark's Club by Henry Hales. Henry is the founder of Surplus, a men's fashion startup that uses surplus materials to craft distinctive British garments and accessories. From his humble beginnings selling boxer shorts on a stall in East London, Henry has grown the business to a formidable size and built a brand that stands all on its own. In today's episode, Henry shows us the power of growing slowly, the tricks to building an incredibly loyal following, and the importance of doing one thing extremely well. Henry, welcome to the Gentleman's Journal podcast. Thank you for having me. No, great to have you. I'm very interested in uh, names and uh, how important names are to businesses, which may seem like an odd way to start off a podcast. But when I hear surplus, I always think it's a great name because it's fun, a pun, but you also get exactly what it is the second you hear it. How, how did you decide on the name and how long did it take for you to land on that one? Well, unfortunately, you don't necessarily completely understand what it is when you hear it. Oh, really? Um, which is why we have a lot of larger sized customers um, thinking that we're selling big clothes. Oh, okay. Yeah, I yeah. never thought about that. Yeah, or uh, or slightly rude puns on, on genitalia when it was just um, boxer shorts. Okay. So, so actually, um, yeah, I think a name's very important. Uh, with our name, um, when I realized what the business was going to start from, yeah. using surplus fabric, um, I wrote down many things you know, excess, surplus, you know, organic fabric, whatever I could yeah. think of. And then um, the, the name surplus just worked quite well. Um, but yeah, I think they're very important, especially when people haven't heard of the brand and you're just trying to communicate it to it. Um, and you need, they also need to be memorable. Yeah. And, and surplus is memorable. Yeah, that's certainly true. So take me back to those first days when you, you first started out, I think you were just selling boxes back yes. then. Why did you decide to start in the first place? Well, um, I always wanted to start a, a business and build a build a brand. Um, and originally, I wanted to make boxer shorts yeah. because now there's a lot of options for men's underwear. But maybe five or six years ago, or seven even, there wasn't that many uh, options. So my original concept was going to be crazy prints on yeah. boxer shorts, and it was going to the the slogan was going to be every man should smile when he looks down. <laughs> um, and uh, what I realised is that actually that it wasn't such a good idea, but also that in order to start making um, boxer shorts, yeah. you'd have to um, buy fabric in bulk, and to get the fabric printed, you'd have to have screens engraved. So there was a lot of setup costs. And also I was doing all of my research in these factories and seeing that often there was lots of waste fabric, and I thought that would be a better concept to buy their surplus, mm -hmm. all very, very good fabric from nice shirt makers in the UK, yeah. and then make that into boxer shorts. And that was a, 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 an easier way to start and a more sustainable approach. Yeah, and did you have a background in tailoring or fashion, or was it just kind of a passion project at the start? Uh, yeah, originally, um, no, no experience yeah. prior to that, and it was just um, an opportunity to explore uh, an avenue whilst I was young enough for it not to matter if it didn't work out. Right, and did it look like it wasn't gonna work out at first? When you first realized the boxes maybe wasn't the biggest business idea in the world, did you think, well, that's it? And yeah, I mean, for sure. I would say um, even two years down the line, it, yeah. was, it, was, it was challenging because um, clothing retail is a volume game and you, you get a better cost price and mm. everything becomes easier the bigger you get. 
So even two years down the line, when I was still doing the majority of the, you know, design, picking and packing, yeah. marketing, you know, everything myself, as many other s smaller businesses do, um, I was still thinking, how can I get my sales up to a, to an, a level whereby I can employ people and start to delegate and grow a proper business. And um, how did you do that? What was the kind of marketing strategy early on? Was it very much friends, word of mouth, or was it more social media based? You know what, looking back, I didn't actually originally rely on friends and family um, to buy my product yeah. a huge amount because I was younger and trying to be noble and make it on my own, if that makes any right. sense. So I didn't want to rely on that um, avenue, which I've since realized is really foolish. And actually, you know, I'm far more pragmatic and would and would do anything possible, yeah. um, aside from oversell to my friends. But okay. you know, if they would like to buy, then I'll be very happy to sell to them. Yeah. Um, but at the time, I thought, well, I want to try and, you know, find customers that aren't my friends, because they're genuine customers who want to buy my product, not just mates trying to help me out. Yeah, and and when you were starting to grow, who was the first employee that you ever employed? So the, I mean, <laughs> what I what I what I realised originally is that I couldn't do everything myself, but I couldn't also employ um, people yeah. to do it at that stage. So there are a few universities that offer great internships, um, and so if if a student's in full time uh, education and they're taking a year out you can uh, employ them and pay them oh, not, right. not, hu not the kind of London living wage, which at that time would have, would have crippled uh, a business like Surplus. So, um, so I had a, a team of really great interns to help out um, and they got a lot from it, I hope as well. Um, and then after two or so years, I, we employed um, a buyer um, called B who's, who's brilliant. And um, then the, the team's grown every year and we've got now a buyer, a buyer's assistant, a merchandiser. Um, we've got a picker and packer, customer service person, um, e-com, um, I know I'm forgetting some, but essentially it's, it's grown and I don't think that until you have one core person yeah. doing those activities, you can really start to see the evolution. Otherwise you're kind of chasing your tail a lot because you're right. trying to run the social media at the same time as answering the telephone and you're trying to design the products and do all the, you know, you're doing everything. and none of them you uh, you're not doing any of them well enough yeah. i don't feel or i certainly wasn't yeah so this is your first and only business i suppose yeah and did you did you have any experience managing people managing a whole team before or has um, that come naturally to you well so i i did try s many enterprises but none of them um were ever registered with companies house or even <laughs> at all legitimate um what, i mean what do you mean what were they we, like um most of my friends seem to sell fags at school, particularly the okay. ones that lived, lived abroad. Um, I, I was helping out with a school charity one year and we, we um, ordered all these pint glasses right. and um, we, put all the, we put the year on them and we tried to sell them and then uh, we sold maybe half of our, our, okay. our buy. And um, obviously the following year it said 2006 on it. And uh, I learned pretty quickly to not um, limit yourself by putting particular things on a product. And regarding management, um, I think that it's not too hard. Um, originally, when when you're small and every every person you take on is extremely important, and you probably put quite a lot of pressure on them. Yeah. Um, since we've grown a little bit bigger and the team's grown, I've tried to find great people and, and let them do the majority of themselves. Yeah. So I think that's probably something that you learn after a bit of experience that breathing down anyone's neck is never going to be helpful. Yeah. And uh, do you put lots of pressure on yourself? Are you one of these entrepreneurs who, ever since you started the business, has had no holidays, never really had a day off? Or are you a bit softer on yourself, do you think, now? Um, I do put quite a lot of pressure, but um, I think that um, if my girlfriend was listening, she would probably 
ha- have a lot more to say on that. But <laughs> we're, I'm taking more holiday now. Yeah. And um, because we do the markets on the weekend, of course, um, it does mean that you do miss out on some social events. Um, but uh, but actually, I do enjoy it. So I yeah. say it's a combination of, uh, of pressure and also enjoying what I do. Yeah. So in those early days when you didn't necessarily know precisely which direction you wanted to take, whose advice did you reach for? Um, so. Personally, my yeah. mother was always very helpful. My mum and my girlfriend and, and kind of family were always very helpful. My my mum had a had a boyfriend at the stage who they're not they're no longer going out, but right. uh, unfortunately because he was very helpful, okay. um, he he knew a lot about business. Um, and then um, more recently, um, I've got a mentor, um, a chap called Stuart. And actually, yeah. um, slight plug, but I've I've joined a committee for something called UKFG Rise, okay. and they help. Um, fashion brands with you know a, a early stage and I found that there wasn't a lot of help so it's great that there's a committee that does that sort of thing yeah um, and then friends and uh, I found that people are very happy to, to reply and give you some time and and so there's never been an issue of, of lack of advice I don't think that's, sure it's important and then I suppose on the other side of that every business needs some working capital to to scale in any kind of way did you reach for finance early on? Was it friends and family, or was it all your own savings, or did it just grow naturally? Do you think? So, so yeah, it did grow very naturally. Um, I think our first order was probably twenty pairs of boxer shorts. Okay. Um, and by evolving on market stalls and at shows and fairs and events, you you know you pay your rent and you turn up and you and you make the sales on the day. So I did that for four years or so, and that was a very um, organic process. Um, with clothing uh, or with fashion, the um, the bigger you grow, the, the more pressure it puts on your cash flow yeah. because you have to buy the trims, fabric material um, and have your products made and you might see that you might sell them two months later. So um, so the bigger we're growing, the more it's becoming an issue. Um, and we've got a good facility with, with Metro Bank, who I highly recommend as okay. well. Join the revolution. Another plug, brilliant. Uh, another plug, <laughs> yeah. Um, and they've been brilliant. Where other banks didn't give us uh, a very good facility, they did. So so it's it's been organic, and now we have a bit of debt when when we need it. And yeah. uh, we're quite seasonal, so that normally tends to be about September. Yeah. Um, but um, at some stage, we'll, we'll, we'll... At the moment, I'm choosing to grow organically. But there might come a stage where I think, well, actually, if we if we wanted to do this in, say, New York and Berlin, mm. and, and if we wanted to grow, then we might have to take on um, some form of investment. But it's not something I'd do yeah. quickly. Um, and, yeah, I, d- I don't know what direction that would have to go in. Yeah, and is that something you're thinking about doing, going international expansion? Well, we're, we're doing a pop-up in, in New York in February. Um, so I'm going to fly out there. We're, we're sending some goods out. We're going to try... Uh, a pop-up in Turnbull and Asa yeah. and then in Brooklyn Flea Market on Saturday and Sunday Great. and really just to to make a few sales but also test whether or not there's good response to our product and, okay. and if logistically I'd be able to run an operation out there um, people do call it the graveyard of British businesses um, <laughs> so I'm not going to rush into it is that a thing do lots of British fashion brands go over there and not really make it I'm not so I'm not so sure it's particularly fashion yeah. brands but you know the likes of Tesco's and, and other kind of credible British companies have, uh, have suffered out there. So we would have to tread, tread care- uh, carefully, but I think um, as we've got such a, a good following here mm. and we've grown the organic process here, I sort of understand how it could be yeah. done. Um, and it's relatively risk-free to start with a few pop-ups and events and then take it from there. Yeah, and it is, it is an incredible product and with a very loyal 
group of followers and I think there probably isn't uh, a brand of that size that I know of that is so uh, kind of immediately distinctive when you see a surplus jerk and you know you're looking at surplus was that was that happened organically or was that a, dis- a decision you made no no so that was also very organic um, again we started with the boxer shorts then I think we um, I realised that with half a metre of fabric yeah. um, from a tailor we could make a waistcoat um, but you couldn't, they couldn't make a jacket so right. they would either give it to us or sell it to us so I then started making waistcoats um, and then people would come and say look we're going to a wedding can you do a more formal waistcoat mm-hmm. um, and then we ended up having one in a blog by Grey Fox and of we course, started yeah. to rank quite highly for particular wedding terms and all of a sudden you know this this whole new market opened yeah. up um, at the same time people were saying look can you make a, a casual one and, and then the workman's jackets came and we've taken it down more of an, an in, uh, industrial route so it's kind of evolved um, and every every season we're seeing cool things and making a new product um, yeah. but unfortunately I wasn't smart enough to see this great vision yeah. of, of these products when I started it's just been a, a very gradual process and the, one of the distinctive things is the kind of Nehru collars that you use on yeah. the shirts and on the waistcoats and on the jackets is that was that always your taste your styles that Henry Hales or is that just kind of organic as well that's organic as well to be right. honest yeah yeah, yeah. Um, it's something that um, you can't get in a lot of brands yeah. and so we started to make them and they became very popular yeah. um, and then we kind of made it our thing really so I think that um, a lot of people associate the, the granddad collar with, with surplus yeah. um, which is which is awesome um, but it's given us a platform to now evolve the, the, the product range. So having specialised, if you like, in granddad shirts, we're now growing into into collar shirts. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I think that if if in any way you can find a small niche and own that, that gives you the platform to move on to the next step. Yeah. If we had have gone and made formal shirts, then initially it would have been very hard to justify why our formal shirts were better than others yeah but starting with a niche product enables us to own that and then evolve the portobello stall is kind of central to the entire surplus business how important is that for you to get in front of customers every day and, and get instant feedback um well we so we don't wholesale so it's a kind of conscious decision to not be stocked yeah. in, in in other shops and therefore you need to do very well online and you need to have people buying directly from you yeah and originally we couldn't afford a shop so we needed to have some way of people buying from us regularly from the same spot and the Portobello store worked really well for that because it's relatively cheap Mm -hmm. people know where we're going to be it's in a decent area um, with lots of character and also um, people who would buy our clothes Uh, and yet that was pretty fundamental because the other issue is that if we'd if we'd have kind of evolved without Portobello, mm-hmm. we would have been very much seasonal because we wouldn't have been able to sell throughout the year because yeah. we weren't renting a shop. So people could buy online, but they wouldn't have really come to, to buy directly from us. We could have done a pop-up shop, but that's less cost-effective mm-hmm. and less consistent. Yeah. So we were at the same spot on Portobello for most Saturdays and often Fridays for kind of five years. Yeah. And yeah, it means that all of your marketing, all of your e-com, you're directing people to one spot. Um, people, the same people walk past you every day and actually since we've opened our shop um, you can't really get any other form of work done because people just knock on the door they come in and they're right. you know, so excited having seen you every Saturday yeah. for, 
four years in the freezing cold or in the hot or whatever um, that you've got a shop yeah. so um, so yeah it's the two the two benefits directing people to one place and also the personal relationship that you get yeah. in a nice community of people who are often walking past so why did you decide then to move into a retail space especially at a time when rents in London are going up so much and loads of fashion retailers particularly seem to be getting out of physical stores yeah it's interesting because actually some of the the pinups for um, you know fashion startups uh, like Warby Parker and Everlane are yeah. actually moving into shops. Right. So it's not a complete, and we're not completely defining the trend. But the business that that I had built um, in the first say four years was a, was a brand that was well known for a core group of products amongst a, a very um, loyal group of people. But it was all very much revolved around me mm. at the time. So setting up the market and everything that that entailed. So really, we're making a very um, considered effort to build a basis that doesn't rely on me. Okay. And the shop was a, a good way of doing that. So we're now there permanently. Yeah. People can come in throughout the week. People know exactly where we are. It's a far better experience and it works very well with the stool. So instead of um, kind of cannibalizing it, actually we've got this great shop next to it. People can still walk past and see the products on the stool. Yeah. But if they want to go in and put their bags down and try something on and use the changing room, use the loo, they can do. Going forward, we're going to put a nice coffee machine and really make it a great atmosphere. Because what I've learned since opening the shop is people aren't just coming to buy clothes. Yeah. It's not just, I need a jacket. It's actually, you know, go and try it on with, with my pair of trousers. What does it work with my trainers? Yeah. Like, what does the guy in the shop think about my tie? And, all, you know, all that stuff. It's all about the experience, which you read a lot. You said to me that going to a restaurant is a really nice experience, but going to a shop often isn't at all. Have you managed yeah. to crack that conundrum? Um, I hope I do. Yeah. Um, but like I say, we're, we're still... Um, working out um, how to make the door open softer at the moment. So, okay. uh, so yeah, there's, there's various um, administrative uh, yeah. issues that you don't quite foresee when you have this grand plan. But yeah, no, long, long term, it would be great to create that sort of atmosphere because buying clothes shouldn't have to be like a frustrating experience. Yeah. So yeah, we're kind of, we're going in the right direction and hopefully we'll, we'll create a really stellar experience in the next few years. Uh, who do you think gets that experience right? Which, which high street brands or big name fashion houses feel particularly special to go into, do you think? Um, I don't know about fashion brands. I think Apple do it very well. Right. Um, it's a completely different experience. But then when you think about the Apple experience, you really know mostly what you want before you go there. That's and it's true. just about being taught a little bit by the geniuses. And I mean, is it the fact there's no tills? They kind of have that thing where a genius comes up to you and you can buy it right there on an iPad. Is that, you I could do that with cool. Surplus. I think if you've seen the Oxford Street uh, shop, it's got these amazing trees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I also think it's great that you can then go and have an appointment with the Genius Bar to ask them anything. Which yeah, I if you can get do. an appointment though. Yeah, if you can get an appointment, yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that is a, an example of a great experience. Okay, and who gets it particularly wrong? I know you don't want to badmouth anyone, but uh, in my mind at least there are certain shops that actually you leave feeling in a pretty bad mood. Yeah, I'd mood. say Sports Direct's up there. But okay, then maybe but then it's a different thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> who, who doesn't do it so well? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want to be too judgmental, but I think that fashion brands in general, um, it's, it's hard to start yeah. with. Fashion is hard, and I think they ensure that they have a very, very good margin so that their product slightly suffers, and then they're trying to, they have many, many stores because that's what's worked in the past. Right. And so some of the stores aren't making money, which affects the, the, the okay. rest of the portfolio. So I think it's just a kind of general shift. And what we're going to see now is fewer stores, but very well designed yeah. with great product and great people within them. And instead of having a store in, you know, in 
15 towns in, in the UK, you might just have three. Yeah, yeah. I kind of feel like um, Paul Smith, who's been on this podcast, and you should check out that episode if you haven't. Um, uh, that goes to everyone listening. But uh, he, he seems to get it right, that they have a few good stores, and each store is different and kind of has the character of, um, of that city that it's in. Is, is that something Surplus might do, do you think? Yeah, he, he's, he's got a great experience, for sure. Um, and, yeah, I think, I think it might well do. But um, we, we don't have huge funds. Yeah. And um, I would, I, I'm currently only opening where we know we'll actually definitely make money. Yeah. And um, if you talk to the guys at a lot of the bigger companies, um, they'll tell you that various stores don't make money, but they're there for marketing, or they're there for the overseas customer, or they're there for wholesale, or uh, what have you. And, and that might work within their yeah. strategy, but it, it's not within ours. And it's interesting you said earlier about how even five years ago, boxer shorts there wasn't much of a range of boxer shorts for for men. How else do you think menswear has changed in the last five or six years? Well, I think um, everyone's a lot more confident. Right. Um, what do you mean by confident? In their own choices and being. Yeah, I think so. In their in their style choice, um, in in what they feel like they can wear sure. without being gunned by their mates. <laughs> um, and people, um, social media's changed everything. So yeah. you know the, the the influencers who are very into fashion um, have a big sway on on the younger generation who who follow what they're wearing and want to want to look different. Um, then the older generation, uh, I can't say I'm, you know, the oracle on this. I think they opt for something that they think isn't going to make them look too stuffy, right? But that's not hugely um, time. It's, it, it doesn't take them too long to decide what okay. they're going to wear, and they just want to go with something simple that's cool. Surplus seems to me like it's kind of popular from five-year-olds to ninety-five-year-olds. Is there one particular segment in there that buys more than the other? Or is it pretty even spread? Well, funny enough, we do actually have a five-year-old customer. We're making uh, a jacket for for, the, for, the, for a wedding for this oh, wow. so, so that that's true. Although five-year-olds aren't our main audience. No, I'm sure. Um, but really, it's it's from say 21 to, to 35 is the is the sweet okay. spot. But it kind of changes across the year because we have our that that sweet spot that buy quite consistently, and then in the in the months preceding Christmas, mm-hmm. um, our you, you can see on Google that actually it's mostly women buying, so they're buying right. a lot of gifts, and that might be for for their boyfriend or for their dad. Um, and then in the summer, we do a lot for people who might be either obviously going on holiday, but a lot of weddings as well. Yeah, and it's interesting you mention women buying there because you don't do much women's wear, do you? No, or not at all anymore. If not I'm right in saying, but yeah. there was a stage when you did do some. We did. So yeah, yeah. W- what what made that change? So we um, we basically didn't sell as much Fine. women's wear as we did men's wear. Um, and the reason is because our, our our core kind of following is men's wear. Right. And so we were dedicating, say, half the website space to women. Um, if you look at that in terms of real estate, which it is, mm. it's quite a lot. And then in terms of the marketing message, you know, every post or so, every other post would have to be women's wear. And so there's a lot of women's brands out there that do a lot of you know great fashion. So I thought, well, let's just make it men's wear. And when you think of um, the influencers who have helped you quite a bit, you mentioned the Grey Fox. How important do you think that that kind of viral social media marketing is? How important is that to your strategy? And is that something you go after or is it something that just no, happens? I think that um, for particular brands, it's made them and they've gone very quick, very yeah. fast. Um, we haven't actually done a huge outreach to, 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 to influencers in that, in that okay. way. 
um, partly because before I was just wanting to grow in the in the nice organic way and um, there's an element to it that I, I don't love you know the, yeah. the whole gifting aspect but do you gift you know, at all do you have a policy on that some f- brands um, just don't do it at all uh, you'll have to ask the editor at Gentleman's Journal <laughs> <laughs> no so so occasionally um, depending on the scenario we, we, we might yeah. do but um, we, we definitely don't kind of send stuff out willy nilly and, and um it might be that you know somebody who's extremely loyal has helped out with a lot. You know, we say thanks very much because it's good to show um, appreciation. But we don't have a, a proper policy as yeah. to let's send out ten jackets this month to these particular people. Fine. Yeah. And do you think the kind of world of fashion has come to rely recently too much on profile on, on famous faces? It seems now every big fashion house just has like five very famous faces who it uses. And people like Cara Delevingne, for example, are, are the ambassador for 10 different brands and it's hard to keep up. Do you think that the fashion brands have relied too much on people at the moment? By the sounds of it, you do. Uh, <laughs> well, maybe. Maybe I do, um, actually, yeah. No, so <laughs> it's hard to say. Um, I think that we yeah as as a fashion brand you want to associate with a particular type of person yeah um and they might feel that that's a, a great fit for for their brand and so that's that's the route that they take um who's the dream surplus ambassador then oh that's a good question i really should have thought that one through um we could think of one now well i've just got a handful of people but they're not yeah. that well known or famous so i think there's okay. a great guy um called martin on portobello road okay i think he's um either hairstylist or an interior designer but he looks like a legend so you know, <laughs> okay. I, I got his email the other day um, right there you go so yeah Martin I'm coming for you um, <laughs> but um, yeah I think that it's anyone that somebody can relate to sure. I don't I don't like the idea of a like extremely kind of buff like yeah. preppy looking uh, model I don't think many brands do, do go down that route anymore Fine. but I think it's more someone that looks cool looks interesting and like you could look like that if you tried, or like your yeah. cool brother or something like that. Not yeah. not just super super model. Okay. And who who uh, are your kind of role models in the fashion world? We mentioned Paul Smith before, but who else do you look up to? In in the fashion community, um, I'd say there's uh, Im- Imran Ahmed from yeah, the business of, of fashion. He's he's done pretty cool things. Yeah, I've been trying to get him on this podcast for really? for months. Well, um, he's a hard cookie to track down. Is but he? I'm sure you'll I'm sure you'll manage. He's okay. a cool guy when you do eventually yeah. manage. There we go. Um, don't don't gate crash voices though. Um, which is their, their annual yeah. conference, yeah. Have you done that? I have, yes. Well, how did that go down? Uh, it's ticketed to those. That don't. Actually, it's invite only, I think. Um, and I turned up with a, uh, with a gift for him um, <laughs> mid, mid-event. And actually, he was extremely cool about it. Right. Um, but I imagine he... What, midway be. through his speech? No, 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 no. Okay. It's midway through the first day. <laughs> and um, I just kind of bowled up. And they, it was quite... They had a lot of security, etc. And he was just talking to a lady called Caroline Rush, who's right. the chairwoman of, of British Fashion Council. So I caught him at a good time. And I was able to say, look, you know, I know that Caroline supports young young brands, etc. Can I come in for the day? Yeah. Um, and he was like, yeah, fine. So I imagine that, okay. in fact, I know that that would not happen again, um, <laughs> having uh, subsequently written to him. Okay. Um, well, not written. He's, he was very cool about it, extremely yeah. cool. But I don't think that anybody who rocks up will now get in. Okay. Um, but, um, yes, yeah, so I spent the day at Voices, which was pretty cool. Amazing. I um, got to meet some of the most um, inspirational people. Yeah. Um, actually, Dave, uh, Ma- Natalie Massonet. Wow. I met there, who, who's a, a big inspiration. It seems like you, you do that kind of thing a lot. From what I've heard about you and what I've actually seen in person, if there's someone you want to speak to, you'll just bowl up straight away and tell them who you are and what, what you do. Are you very confident in the brand? Are you very confident in yourself? That's. Um, I don't know. I think, obviously, you always have, have doubts in, in particular things, but... 
never would I be un, like um, afraid to go and talk to somebody. Definitely, Fine. I don't think that's um, that's almost. I don't see that as confidence. I just see that as kind of normality. Right. You know, but why, I think a lot of people not? would be scared to go up and someone they didn't know and try and basically pitch them on themselves or on their business. Yeah, I think um, maybe it's that every time I've tried, it's always been actually pretty pretty good. It's yeah. always worked out okay. Um, God, that's nice to know. Yeah, yeah. So definitely <laughs> go for it. You've never been rebuffed by someone who goes, I don't want to buy your box of shorts. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> actually, there was... Um, I met um, Alexandra Shulman yeah. um, at, a, at an event. <laughs> was that when uh, she was still editor? Yeah, 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 exactly. God. So it was a few years ago. And... Um, I went up and said, look, I, I brought you some boxer shorts. And she actually said, um, well, I can't accept gifts. And I said, oh, no, no, they're 20 quid. And uh, <laughs> she found that quite funny. Yeah. Um, she didn't buy them. Okay. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so no, it's never not, not kind of cutting to plan. Either. Yeah. And, and on Portobello Road, you must have kind of a, quite a flow of, of famous or semi-famous faces come by. I'm sure you won't name drop any here, although it might be quite good fun. It, have there been famous people who have bought your clothes who are now out there wearing surplus boxers? Yeah, there, there have. There have. And that's why um, yeah, having a physical presence helps yeah. and to build up a rapport with, with those with those people is pretty key but you don't really shout about that where other brands would get seven selfies with them and post them all on Instagram and do a huge kind of Instagram story on it yeah. you don't really mention it and I sense that you're not going to mention any names now yeah I think that um, like it depends it depends what kind of relationship uh, you have with them and mm. if they're if they're like a media personality yeah. for whom you know they have a, a, a big Instagram following and, and that's kind of something they're very comfortable with yeah. of course you'll be like you know can I have a picture with you that kind of thing but if it's somebody who's just you know who who isn't clearly looking okay. for self-promotion yeah. then for them to come and, and buy something from you because they like your clothes and like your brand to then go and kind of evade that that privacy is not it's not something that uh, that we'd do yeah okay so what what um other kind of men's styles and fashions and trends you see at the moment that you wish we could kind of banish from the earth there, is there anything you think that we're getting particularly wrong as men no i think that um i think that people should should be happy to wear what they want to wear and and uh, you know that's completely cool with me okay um but there must no, be no, some no. some ways that people could help themselves and they're not particularly doing that well i was going to say selfie sticks are pretty offensive okay yeah fine yeah. um just the idea of them is pretty pretty <laughs> annoying so no let me think i think that yeah we should we're, we're able to or, or working men are mm. far more able to express themselves now and i look forward to the time when you know people can rock up to work in exactly what they want yeah um hopefully surplus yeah <laughs> So I want to talk about money for a little bit because you must have been approached many times over your history with people offering you money for investment. And as far as I can tell, Surplus is largely independent and, and almost overwhelmingly owned by you. So how have you um, staved off the temptation to take the big money? So I think that we've had a, a gradual path to growth mm -hmm. and I haven't so far come across anybody who or any ideas that I think could grow up faster than we can really yeah I don't think so and we've been able to do it self-financing ie through sales um, if there were a stage where I realized right this this is working really well to to grow it we need X amount mm. then then I'll then I'll look at that option have there like, been big offers on the table if, if bigger brands or bigger companies come to you and said we can help you out here Quite, quite often people kind of get in touch saying, look, are you, are you looking for investment yeah. and can we help? But nobody's ever said, you know, here's a check yeah, for X you amount, want. you know. And your kind of um, 
I suppose accidentally you've become this kind of figurehead for men's fashion and men's startups. That's very. Um, I, don't, I don't think I have. But well, I think so people I think it's it's uh, it's a great example. For example, of of a small brand doing one thing and then lots of things and growing organically yet kind of quickly. And do pe- lots of young fashion entrepreneurs approach you for advice? Quite often. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Quite often. It's normally um it's normally to do with some uh, with a tech platform. Quite often. Wow. So um about you know, some form of something similar to say Farfetch, for example, or quite a lot of people doing swimwear or doing shirts, et cetera. So yeah, fairly often. And and what do you say to these people? What's the one piece of advice you find yourself giving over and over again? Um, I think it's quite often that nothing ever happens how you expect it to. Okay. Um, But that if you keep on persisting and if you make your niche, if you you pick a niche and then really kind of hold on to that, then, uh, then things work out. Um, but then there are others who go for the kind of for the for the stratospheric growth. Okay. You know the the seed capital and and try to really kind of take the market by storm. And and that's not something that I have experience with. So I I can't say whether or not it will yeah. or won't work. But it's just a different approach. And what do you think is more important at that early stage? Is it the idea? Is it say we're going to do boxes made from excess fabric, or is it the execution? We're going to do incredible boxes. Yeah, it's definitely the execution okay. for sure. Um, right. Which is why, yeah, I, I mean, my idea or various ideas yeah. have, have evolved quite a lot. And I think the the important thing is the commitment and the hard work yeah. and the, yeah, that's that side of things. And what surprised you most about about the fashion industry? Do you think since you started in it? Well, it's certainly a, a kind of there there are advantages to economies of scale. Right. Um, so the the bigger you get, the more you can employ decent people. So that that wouldn't have been such a surprise, but um, but it's definitely affirmed my original um, idea or concept. And then um, I don't think that there are that many men's brands doing really cool things. Really, um, I don't think so. I think that there's definitely an opportunity there. It's a it's a very growing market. Do you um, think we're, we're still too safe with men's designers are? Well, you've got um, you kind of fashion, fashion designers, right. and they're designing things that probably aren't too wearable to the normal normal guy. And then you've got quite kind of boring, um, you know, mainstream. Yeah. Um, and then you've you've got your kind of middle retailers. You've got your Uniqlo, which I love, sure. and other things like that. But I don't think there are that many people doing great men's clothing really, really um, effectively. Right. At a at a kind of not luxury price point sure. and not high street price point. So maybe that's the that's the gap that maybe you, you maybe advise we just young my business strategy. Yeah, maybe yeah. we have, but maybe now there's going to be a whole host of men's brands coming in and yeah, can we, taking can we a bite of your cake. Yeah, we can get rid of that <laughs> if you need to. So as we go into kind of the final corner of the interview, we do this fun thing um, where we ask you kind of questions. You've got to answer them quickly, and you've got to answer them without really thinking about it. We want it to be Henry Hales the man, not Henry Hales the businessman. The PR machine. Okay, the PR right. machine. Yeah. The PR guru. So who in the world of business do you most admire, Henry? Uh, Yvonne, the, the guy from Patagonia. Uh, yeah. Yvonne Chirard. Is that how I say his name? I just listened to his um, his podcast. Oh, I shouldn't say that, should I? No, no, you, you can okay. say, there are other podcasts. There was there. another podcast called <laughs> Business Insider. Okay, uh, slightly bigger than ours, I think, but yeah, yeah. different. And he, he's epic, um, built a really cool, sustainable It's brand. amazing, isn't it? Yeah, 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 so I love him. Um, I also listened to um, Howard Schultz on the same yeah. podcast, and uh, having not, you know, absolutely loved Starbucks, the story behind it is actually very cool. Yeah. Um, and then Bill Gates, again, 
a little bit cliche because he's probably one of the most successful businessmen in the world, but his Desert Island Discs was really warming. And actually, Sheryl Sandberg says that yeah. disc made me cry. Yeah. You've got to listen to that. It's really good. That's great. Yeah. So there's four there. There's four. Brilliant. Yeah, room for one more? Uh, yeah, go on then. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I don't okay. know. <laughs> uh, what would you be doing, do you think, if you weren't doing this? Um, I would love to say that I would be an artist or right. um, a chef or something cool like that. But <laughs> okay. the reality is, I'd probably be in property. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Fine. Yeah. Is that, I was, your degree was in property, it wasn't was, it? Yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah, it's not that rock and roll, is it? To go back for a second, what what do people say when when you said I'm going from a property degree into making boxer shorts? Did they say this is a bad idea? Well, that would assume that you know I were some established property person who's looking right. to you know for a career change. But actually, I was just a uni graduate, Fine. and you know, so most a lot of people back then were you know trying to work out what they're going to do. Yeah, so absolutely. There were certain parents that that weren't um, <laughs> you know that wild on it. Okay. But, um, but yeah, mostly most people were pretty supportive. Yeah, and what are you most proud of so far in your career? Oh, that's a good question. I'd say having a shop, which is yeah. cool. Um, being on the Gentleman's Journal podcast, absolutely. Um, probably, um, probably building a, a good team of people um, to help grow a brand. Yeah, and what on the other side of things are you most disappointed in? What have been your biggest regrets or failures? Do you think? Oh, I'm not sure. It's a tough question because you can't say there question. haven't been any because then you sound clear and arrogant. Yeah, yeah. But there, you don't want to point. There have been many. I just don't want to dwell on them. Okay. I can't actually remember them. Right. Sure fine. Fine. Yeah. Always looking forward. That's the way exactly. to do it. Good, cool. um, which book has influenced you the most in your life? Do you think? Um, I don't know that it's like had a profound impact, right. but I, I read um, Phil Knight's uh, Shoe Dog. Okay, really I don't great. know it. Uh, you've got to read it. Is that fiction or? No, oh no, he's, got, yeah, he's yeah. the Nike guy. Ni- Nike guy. Yeah, no, I have uh, seen he's that. Yeah, my fifth actually. We'll put him okay. in the fifth. Fine. Because he's obviously, he's very frank, almost self-deprecating, but he's built one of the most widely recognised brands. Yeah. And it, it's not like he had this insane strategy and knew where he was going to be. It was very much an evolution. Yeah. Um, and it's a really interesting read. And oh, and actually, Julian, oh. R- Julian Richer. Okay, uh, God, been, there's more. Richer Sounds. Richer Sounds, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. It's the Richer Way. And yes. um, I'm reading it now, and it's making me want to work less and kind of manage effectively and ensure that salespeople are happy and really okay. kind of create a good environment. So he, he his is a, a really good book. Yeah. And what's your most treasured item of clothing in your wardrobe? I have a lot of surplus, which I which I rotate around. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's... that's and are you jobs. allowed to wear other people's shirts and other people's jackets? Uh, occasionally when I'm around the house okay um, but never out I've no, never I'm actually kidding, seen you in, um, in another person's shirt or jacket I really don't think I have uh, I mean I, I would do uh, if I absolutely loved their their garments but, but you um, don't but you I make nice don't. ones so I, 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 I wear those I okay. play football in, in other brands fine um, <laughs> sleep in other brands occasionally yeah so, fine uh, yeah occasionally it happens and what about if you needed to put a tie on because you don't really do collar no, shirts do you that's right I don't um, so I would I would have to go out you and buy find or a nice tie yeah fine I yeah. can't imagine you often wear ties though not regularly no yeah um, maybe that's the, the title of your autobiography the tireless um, entrepreneur it's not we need to work on it it's not yeah really I, think, I think there's more I mean yeah. <laughs> there's probably yeah. more to it so how would you like your Wikipedia entry to start when it's finally written or perhaps it's already been written no, no maybe no. I should write that you should it'll get taken um, down though quickly really I've tried have you well tomorrow not to write yours okay but you've tried no, to write no, yours at the age of sort of 15 okay I've got right. to clear that up yeah. maybe you can write okay, mine okay fine so can I pose that question how will my Wikipedia page start Henry Hales is a fashion entrepreneur, philanthropist, and socialite. I love that. 
<laughs> I'd hear yeah. about socialite. You happy with that? Uh, You're a man about I mean, town. You're everywhere. Mean, does that mean that he socializes? Or? He means he socializes. I don't think there's any negative conversations. Cool. I'll take it. Just means your your networker connected. And finally, Henry, do you have a personal motto? There is a quote by Robert Louis Stevenson yeah. that goes, uh, he is success who lived well, laughed often and loved much. Brilliant. Which I think is really, really great. And um, it's on my, uh, on my dad's grave, so it reminds me of him. Henry, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you very, very much for listening to this episode of the Gentleman's Journal podcast. We'll be back in a fortnight with more invaluable insights from the world of entrepreneurs. But until then, you can find us on our website, which is www.thegentlemansjournal.com. Or if you're so inclined, follow us on Instagram at The Gents Journal or indeed on Twitter at The Gents Journal. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you very, very soon.